Good morning, everybody. Uh, we're back to producing podcasts and videos for the African Five Aside podcast um, as we've kicked off the Africa Cup of Nations. And we're here in Abidjan to cover the tournament. So I'm going to be trying to make you know observations, sort of like video diary entries every day if I can about this Africa Cup of Nations. Um, maybe just to provide a little bit of color a little bit of uh, extra detail for those that have been, you know, watching and that are yearning for it. Um, I'd like to start, first of all, by saying thank you all for, for the immense <laughs> success of the team-by-team the team previews. Um, the channel more than doubled over those 12 or 13 previews. I'm sorry I couldn't get to all 24 teams as initially uh, expected. I just got it right into too much um, preparation, too much work. But we're now YouTube partners, so <laughs> this channel is uh, becoming a little more official. So thank you for all of that, and, and I hope to continue to grow it so we can continue to speak about African football and everything that goes around it. So let's talk about this first match in the African Cup of Nations. I got to Abidjan early yesterday at 3 in the morning, and the match was at 8 p.m. So I was a little bit tired the entire day. But um, what I can tell you is... Look, opening matches, I've, I've done, this is my fourth African Cup of Nations, my fourth opening match. Opening matches are always a mess. There's always the head of state that's coming out. Gianni Infantino's coming out. Patrice Motep is coming out. Yesterday, the president of the Cote d'Ivoire during the opening speech said that there was also the president of Ghana, the vice president of Equatorial Guinea, and there was another head of state that was there as well. So, you know, you're going to see very, very heavy security apparatus um, there are always a ton of journalists because the host nation is playing and they have the most amount of journalists. Uh, and as a result, you know, um, accreditate, everybody's trying to get their last minute accreditation. There are scrambles to get to the stadium. The press box is always over full. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's always like that. You know what to expect when you've covered one of these before. And yesterday was no different. I think it was a little smoother than, than Egypt probably and a little smoother than Cameroon. But still, it was a little bit hectic. I think we saw an opening match that was kind of typical for an opening match, right? Cote d'Ivoire versus Guinea-Bissau. Cote d'Ivoire are the or one of the favorites, as we've been talking about in you know our AFCON previews. Uh, we didn't do a team preview of them, but in the AFCON preview, they were one of the four favorites alongside Egypt, Morocco, and Senegal. I think they showed why we considered them as one of the favorites. But I think they also showed that they don't know who they are yet. Allow me to explain. Yesterday, the starting 11 of Cote d'Ivoire amassed 206 international appearances, which is not a lot. I think Ahmed Hassan from Egypt by himself has like 170. <laughs> um, 206, that's about an average of... It must be less than 10, right? 10 per player? No. Uh, it must. Sorry, apologies for my math. I still haven't had my coffee. It's around, yeah, a little less than 20 um, per player, which is not a lot. The most experienced player in terms of international appearances was Franck Kessier, who has, I think, 69, 70 with yesterday's match. And so it was the same thing with Guinea-Bissau. Guinea-Bissau, their total starting 11 amassed around 150 international appearances. 
it seemed that both coaches were trying to experiment and trying to find a new starting 11 and trying to inject new blood into their national teams at these at this tournament. I think Jean-Louis Gasset did this for a few different reasons. Number one, I don't think he knows who his back four are, his starting you know, back defenders. Um, he started yesterday with Diomande and later in the press conference said that he thought he was a little nervy. He thought that he was a little naive. And we saw that he replaced Diomande in the center half, you know, 19-year-old center half with Willy Boli, who is a lot more experienced, uh, plays for, you know, has a lot of Premier League experience with Wolverhampton Wanderers and, and Nottingham Forest. Uh, we saw that he started at right back with Wilfred Single, who plays at more of as like a right center back in the back three with Monaco, uh, instead of Serge Aurier, the other Nottingham Forest uh, right wing back, more of a, an attacking fullback. And... Um, he replaced Single with Aurier halfway through the match. And that's Wilf Single versus Aurier is, seems to be a, a big debate in Cote d'Ivoire. They, there are some that believe Wilfred Single should absolutely start, and there are some that believe Serge Aurier should absolutely start. Yesterday, I think Single would be disappointed with his performance uh, as he gave away you know, two or three uh, pretty poor back passes that resulted in, in Guinea-Bissau counterattacks. Um, even along the front line, he started with a front three of you know, uh, Jonathan Bamba, Jean-Philippe Croissot, and uh, Jeremy Boga. What you have to know is Sebastian Allaire is injured, and he's probably going to be injured for the second match as well, maybe even a third match, we don't know. And so Croissot sort of replaces him. There was a debate of if it was going to be him or Karim Konate. Croissot wins the, the job. He didn't have a fantastic match, but he scored a fantastic goal, and that's kind of what you want from your strikers, right? And Karim Konate came on, and although you could see where this kid could be special with the way he thinks about the game, I think physically uh, he fared quite poorly. He couldn't hold the ball up by himself. Um, sometimes he made the wrong decisions. So, so Karim Kodat is quite clearly another one that I think it might be a little too early for him as a striker. The, the Red Bull Salzburg uh, striker that's, that's very, very, very highly touted, just 19 years old as a striker. And then on the wing, Nicolas Pepe came in. You know, um, we I don't think we know yet who's going to be this, the nailed-down starter. And so, yeah, Gasset quite clearly showed that he doesn't know who his loving is. I think it was the perfect match for him to sort of experiment and give players their chance to say, you know, who's in form, who's not in form, who's going to step up for me at this African Cup of Nations. And, uh, and he did that. And I think overall he'll be pleased with what Cote d'Ivoire did. The fact that they scored in the opening five minutes, first of all, that spoke to Guinea-Bissau's inexperience because, you know, every coach from under six to under, so what, it's a senior level. They always say the first five minutes and the last five minutes of every single half, you know, you cannot concede. Usually they say 15 minutes. We cannot concede, you know. We've got to be concentrated. And sure enough, they score, they, they concede after four minutes, after a huge mental error, from one of the midfielders kicking the ball out for no absolutely no reason conceding a corner. So as the match continued to progress, um, I think it got a little more boring. Cote d'Ivoire, especially after they scored their second goal, just seemed like they lifted their foot off the pedal, uh, were more interested in retaining possession and um, you know experimenting with different players than actually chasing after a third. Um, 
that was a little bit disappointing. Tactically speaking, I thought it was interesting how Gislain Conan, the left back, was always in a more attacking position than Wilfred Single, who we already mentioned was um, more of a center half. Uh, the one takeaway, I think, from, from this match and where we could justify Cote d'Ivoire being favorites is that midfield three of Ibrahim Sangare, Franck Kessier, and especially, especially Seko Fofana. They work so well together. Ibrahim Sangare, they'll play this one-two, yeah? Ibrahim Sangare is the player that's going to come down, pick up the ball from the center halves, and he could spray these long diagonals. He can play the passes between the lines. He's so calm in possession. Just made one mistake yesterday, but I thought that was uncharacteristic of him um, in possession. Franck Kessier, same thing. Just very intelligent, you know, tactically. Uh, always strong in the tackle. And then the one thing I love about Franck Kessier too is, you know, when he plays one-touch football with his passes, and when he gives it back to you, there's never a bobble on the ball. You know, it's always flat across the, the surface of the playing pitch. Um, I love that about Franck Kessier. Very calming presence, even though sometimes it looks like he's running through cement, but <laughs> that calming presence, I think, helps in midfield. But Seko Fofana, Sangare and Kessier are, are great. Don't get me wrong. They are absolutely fantastic. They, any, they would walk into any African national team midfield. Seko Fofana is the most important player in that midfield because he does something that the other two can't. His dynamism, his creativity in midfield is on another level. We also had questions about, you know, Saudi pro league players coming to uh, play in the African Cup of Nations about their physical condition. Seko Fofana was making lung bursting runs into space after 90 minutes. He, I, I didn't look at the statistics to see who covered the most ground, but Seko Fofana, I'm sure, is up there. On top of all of that, very press resistant with the way he dribbles, uh, the way he anticipates, the way he understands, you know, manipulating space and the opponent. And then, you know, the, the finishing touches, you know, the, the, the way he curled in his goal. He, had a, he hit the crossbar on another chance um, from, from 18 yards out. Um, the way he plays through balls. It's such a shame that we never watched him in the Premier League or, you know, in the Champions League, um, you know, at his peak. Um, but Seko Fofana was my man of the match. He was Caf's man of the match, and I think it was thoroughly deserved. He's somebody that uh, we're going to continue to watch during the tournament. And to recap what I've been saying about Cote d'Ivoire's midfield, they look like the best midfield in the tournament so far. And so although there are questions along the defensive line, although there are questions along the attacking line, Cote d'Ivoire's midfield look like they're already ready. They look like they're perfectly in tune with one another. And they're quite clearly going to be the locomotive for this side um, into the rest of the 2023 uh, African Cup of Nations. Overall, my notes for Guinea-Bissau is that they, they basically couldn't really break down Cote d'Ivoire uh, with possession of the ball. Uh, most of their chances came when they capitalized on, on errors from Cote d'Ivoire when they were in possession. You know, bad back passes or, or you know, leaving too much space in behind. Um, they were quite clearly an inexperienced side. I thought the wingers were very, very poor in possession, Carlos Mane and, and Teixeira, um, especially in the final third. I thought they made poor decisions, or when they made the right decision, they couldn't execute. Mama Balde, I thought, brought a little bit of freshness at the striking position. And uh, and at the, the 
substitution of Francolino Jew, I think, came a little late. I thought he added something special to the side and could have maybe played behind Mama Balde, but they were probably never going to do that when playing against Cotivar's midfield. You know, you need your three midfielders uh, against them. them. Yeah, overall, I thought Guinea-Bissau lacked a little bit of quality and experience, and that's why they're still chasing, you know, their first um, victory at the African Cup of Nations. They are, they've consecutive, sorry, they've qualified to their fourth consecutive African Cup of Nations after qualifying for their very first in 2017. So you see that, you know, with the expanded format of the tournament, Guinea-Bissau are one of those sides that are taking advantage and are becoming, you know, a, a fixture sort of in the tournament. So they were probably always between that 16th and the 24th side on the continent. But I think they're still a little under, uh, they're, they're still a little behind some of the other teams on the continent, especially when we talk about the heavyweights. So that was it. I mean, overall, those are my observations from the match. Um, the stadium itself is beautiful, especially from the outside, the, the Stade Olympique de Bimpe. The pitch started to cut up as the match went along, and that's a, a cause for concern because, you know, that was just one match. And soon they're going to start playing back-to-back matches there. And the final is going to be over there. And one of the semifinals is going to be over there. And so that's something to keep an eye on, is how the pitch is going to hold up in, in Ebimpe at the Alassane Ouattara Stadium. Um, you could feel a real fervor, especially driving to the stadium. Uh, so many Cote d'Ivoire jerseys, so much of that. You know, tangerine orange, catching the eye, popping. Um, you know, mini buses with people hanging off the sides, motorbikes. People just having so much fun, enjoying running to the stadium. And I thought, you know, there's a real, you could feel that Ivorians are not only very excited for this tournament, but they're very excited to to welcome the entire continent. They've been very, very hospitable and to also make sure that there's a good image given of their country um, at this African Cup of Nations. So yeah, those are my thoughts for, for yesterday's match, the opening match of the 34th edition of the African Cup of Nations. Um, I hope it could just provide a little bit of detail, a little bit of color, a little bit of analysis for those that, that want it. And um, today we have three matches. I'm not going to go to the early Nigeria match at the Alosan Sta- at Watara Stadium. Uh, just have, you know, it's, it's a bit far and I have too much stuff to do this morning. But I will make it to uh, the Group B matches. We have uh, Egypt versus Mozambique and then Ghana versus Cabo Verde. And uh, I'll also try to start putting these out maybe in the evening, maybe following the matches. Um, it's just difficult, you know, after the match, you're in a press conference and then, you know, mix zone. Then you're trying to catch a bus back home <laughs> or a ride share back home. And then you're not home until one in the morning, two in the morning. Then you got to shower. And yeah, so either I'm going to try to do this first thing in the morning or very, very late at night. Let me know if you enjoy it. Let me know if you have any questions um, that we can answer or if you have anything that you think that we should try to address. In addition to these daily diaries, we're also going to be recording four special edition podcasts um, at the African Cup of Nations. And uh, besides that, you can catch all of my work. Uh, You're going to see some on Al Jazeera English. You're going to see uh, some on the Copa 90 uh, social media channels, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, you could also see a lot of my work at africasacountry.com. The very good people that have brought this podcast to you and that are going to be throwing a fantastic event a few days from now uh, in Abidjan. So, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, I can't believe we're finally playing this African Cup of Nations tournament. I'm very, very excited about that. And uh, I'm going to sign off, leave it here, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.